I think that what makes a difference between our generation and like our mom's generation is that we are also expected to be full-time career women and take care of the household, take care of our husbands, take care of our babies and do it all perfectly. Nobody warns you for the reality of what that burnout can actually be like. Good. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm good. I'm sorry. I look really bad. I am you in my really don't. childhood. Oh, yeah, sorry, we didn't I respond just... to your text. You, d- you don't look like you even have a kid. Oh, I do. <laughs> um, it's a lot. It's a lot of my husband's handiwork because he's a plastic surgeon. I'm, I'm in my childhood bedroom. I've got like dog dresses all around me. So, but we're gonna make it work. <laughs> no, I really like this background. I'll just say this looks so fabulous. You look like you're in a museum or. A little bit, a little bit of a good, let me see if I can, maybe I can like prop up the phone that way, my arms. Okay. Okay. We'll do this. Okay. Is this good? You guys, okay. Yeah, your oh hair is so, I, I, this is, this is what pregnancy will do to your hair. This is what it'll do. No, so, my cousin lost, she, okay. My cousin, I will, I'm probably going to lose it in a month. When she had her third kid, she was <laughs> telling me, yeah, you lose all your hair on your head and you start growing hair all over your body that you never had. I'm like, wow, you really make me <sighs> I think, I think, I think I can see that happening. I'm going to be able to report back if this is true in like a month, because by the time the baby's three or four months old, that's when you start seeing a lot of shedding. However, my theory is I haven't been able to do like bleach or dye. I have no time to use hair tools. I only have time to wash my hair twice a week. So I think that my hair is like, oh, thanks, bitch. Like, <laughs> you're giving me a break. <laughs> so no, I think you really is- look so good. Like, I feel like, like you're actually glowing. Like, I know people always say you're that to kids so that sweet. people just had a kid. But like, really, you're you look so great. Sweet. You guys, you know what? I think that Persian women do better in pregnancy, though. I really do. Oh. I genuinely do. Yeah, I think that our skin knows how to bounce back like white white women don't do so well it's literally genetics though like I'm not I'm not being mean it's literally genetics I think that the Persian Mediterranean diet the Mediterranean lifestyle it makes it that you actually do bounce back pretty quick I didn't believe that um and it's also a lot of sleep deprivation and then breastfeeding really makes you lose a ton of weight like like a lot. Well, maybe <laughs> so I will breastfeed. All good. Well, I want. It's <laughs> pretty amazing. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's really stressful, but you like you will struggle to. I might just keep pumping after my kid is on solid foods because I'm like this is amazing. Like I'm having a lot of fun with this. Well, okay, okay. I want to get into more details um, in in the episode, but yes, that sounds good. I think we should introduce you first. Okay, that welcome, sounds good. Welcome back. Some Persian Girl podcast as a uh, guest who has already been with us. Yeah, we love our second time guests. Yeah, we don't I have love being though. here. We love them <laughs> back. I don't understand how everyone doesn't come back. I love you two ladies. <laughs> You're so sweet. Maybe we don't want them all to come back. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, just, we, we don't say yes to everyone who tries to come back. <laughs> understandable that's totally understandable well salam khanum khushkela and happy holidays to everybody so yesterday was december 25th happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa happy yalda happy whatever you're celebrating this month um i hope you guys had a wonderful holiday thank you 
weeks. Yeah, it's been nice to be off work for a day. Um, I know. Yeah, I'm going to give a disclaimer. I am. Um, I have now a as of tomorrow an 11 week old baby, my first baby. So I'm very sleep deprived. So if there are major errors in my wording or it sounds like I'm speaking gibberish, it's because my brain is melting from the from just the sleep deprivation. Yeah. So Laudan recently had a baby. She's yes. also a psychiatrist. And um, what makes it fun is this is. What, what makes it fun for this episode is myself and my husband are both in medicine. So I'm a psychiatrist here in Orange County, California. Um, I'm a big fan of the Persian Girl podcast. Um, my first episode was really fun with you guys. And then I wanted to reach out to you lovely ladies because I felt like my experience as a first time mom, um, there are things that happened to me that I hope will never happen to another woman. And I feel like you're you guys have an amazing platform to get out there for girls who are really in our situation. Um, I don't know if you guys want to introduce the topic or if you want me to introduce it, actually. You can introduce it. Okay. Okay. Well, so, I mean, that was, uh, you just, you just kind of did. And I, I'm, we were saying how, I, yeah, we have had other episodes that were like this too, which is kind of like a, not disclaimer or warning per se, but like, we had another guest, El Tusi, who came to share her experience mm -hmm. of freezing her eggs and like just kind of mm -hmm. having these conversations that maybe you're not going to be able to get in a conservative Persian household or maybe even right. regardless of being Persian, like some, we're not, some women aren't, we're not having these conversations. Yeah, so. I feel like a lot of women after childbirth, they're like, oh, my baby's so amazing. Oh, mm -hmm. having kids is so great. Like a lot of them mm -hmm. don't talk about like the postpartum depression. Like they, especially like in more conservative communities, they try to hide those things. And I think it's kind oh, of, yes. if you're going through that, like it can be great to help other women for the future to like share that and tell other women how it's really like. And that's why we were so excited when you DM'd us and you messaged us saying that you wanted to come on and share your experience. And it could be so helpful to other women who are trying to get pregnant or who are currently pregnant about to have a baby. Um, so we're very excited for this. I'm so excited. And I love that episode, by the way. episode. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's, that is, I didn't even, well, I knew we were in season two, but I didn't realize that I was at that milestone. Yeah. And but I, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> and I loved that episode. And you're right. Um, I think that no matter... And here's the kicker, like I, as a psychiatrist, my specialty is women's maternal health. Like literally my specialty and my training was working with women that are about to get pregnant. They are pregnant. They just had a baby. They're heading into menopause and nothing could have possibly prepared me for the reality of what women go through. And I think that um, there's a lot of shame and a lot of judgment, a lot of what, you know, we refer to as mom shaming um, and a lot that the hospitals just and a lot of physicians, they just, they don't talk to you about it. I don't know whether they're uncomfortable to talk about it. Um, but it's funny because I, you know, as Persian women, um, um, you're pressured. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry one, one second. second. I'm Sure. Okay, sorry. So where were we? <laughs> no, that's okay. So we're pressured so married, have babies, do it all perfect. And I think that what makes a difference between our generation and like our mom's generation is that we are also expected to be 
full-time career women and take care of the household, take care of our husbands, take care of our babies and do it all perfectly. Nobody warns you for the reality of what that burnout can actually be like. Um, and there's not, there's not, so there's not a lot of support. And especially in America where you don't have guaranteed maternity leave, um, there's no safety net. So I was, I'm very blessed that my husband works. Um, but uh, you know, I have to work too, because to live in today's day and age, um, it's pretty much do have to have a two income household. Um, I'm a 1099 employee. So what that means is that I'm an independent contractor and I don't get benefits from a hospital. Um, so I didn't even get a minute of maternity leave when I went, I was actually still on call and I was in labor. Um, and I'll, I'll get into that story. Um, but the whole experience of it and and seeing that my doctor never asked me, how, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How are, how are things going? Um, he never cared. Um, it made me mad, to be honest with you. And my birth story was pretty traumatic. I'm very lucky that my son and I are, are well um, because it, it probably wouldn't have turned out well um, if some crazy force of nature wasn't watching over us. Um, and I'm very, very lucky that I have support from my family, from my mom, um, you know, my my whole family, my dad, my brother, um, my husband, oh my gosh, is like a gift from God. Like it, it's, I've had a whole village essentially supporting me to be able to do this, but then I think other women don't. Um, so I thought I would reach out to you guys and, and, um, women need to know, you know, if you're struggling, if, if, um, you're afraid to speak out, our, unfortunately, our society has created that, where if you say, I'm stressed out, people say, oh, well, you know what, you're lucky that you got pregnant. Do you know how many women can get pregnant? Or you're lucky that you have a baby, and you're lucky that your baby is healthy. And all these things are true. You are very lucky. And it's such a blessing. And babies are, are amazing. But that doesn't mean that our bodies are, um, you know, there's no limit to what we can take, and that there's no limit to what our brains can take. And I genuinely never even understood that as a maternal health specialist, like, and that scares me. I'm like, wait a minute, I've been taking care of all these patients all along. And I had, I had no clue, like what they're really going through. And I never asked a lot of really important questions that I probably should have. Um, but I think, again, it's, it's this, it's this culture and this society that has done that to us. Um, and at some point, it has to stop. Um, I know that, you know, we're still pretty much, unfortunately, living in a man's world, but that's changing. Um, thank God that's changing. Um, and it's conversations like this that are going to continue that that change. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about your experience. Like, who was your OB-GYN? And, you know, yeah, like, so, did you, like so, what was the vetting process? Or like, did he care before? And then like, once you were pregnant, like the tables just turned, like, tell us a little bit about that. So I think that this speaks to, um, it's really important to listen to your gut instinct. And a lot of, I think that the problem, and again, this goes into the Persian culture. I think I had a lot of Taro thing that happened in my relationship with my OB-GYN. So I can't mention his name or where he works. Um, but I found this OB-GYN, you know, it's a small community here in Orange County. And um, it was really important to me to be at this certain hospital and he had his privileges there. So between the Google reviews and like what, you know, people had said, I thought, oh, this is going to be a good fit for me. Um, and I, you know, my very first appointment was actually the last appointment that I was able to have somebody with me at the appointment. Um, and my mom was there with me and we thought, 
oh, you know, this guy is like very, very, you know, he talks really fast and he seems really rushed, but maybe that's just his personality. Like he seems to know what he's doing and he has a lot of experience. Like he's, you know, he's been in this business for a while. Um, I should be in good hands. But I remember leaving the appointment and my gut feeling was, I feel like I didn't get much out of it. And um, I, I, I will be honest, I'm 34. So I'm not, you know, I'm no spring chicken. So I mean, I think that there are a lot of certain risks that I was concerned about being that I am of an older age as a first time mother. Um, luckily, we didn't have any issues with getting pregnant. But I, I was really concerned about, you know, what can go right? What can go wrong during this pregnancy? He didn't take time to answer those questions. So that's your first red flag, everybody. So if your doctor doesn't stop and say, do you have any questions for me? That's a red flag that this is not the right doctor for you. If you feel rushed, if you feel anxious or you feel like he's looking at his watch during the appointment, that's a red flag. This is not, not the person for you. Um, sex flag was really um, at my 20 week ultrasound. I was, you know, I was really nervous. I really needed my husband to go with me. So I had to call and ask for permission to bring someone with me with COVID. Um, there were no visitors allowed. So I think that that was another big thing for, for pandemic pregnant women is you had to go to all these appointments by yourself. So you couldn't have someone maybe there as like your support system. Um, and my husband, within the first two seconds, he told me, I don't like this guy. Like he, like he said, like he, he just didn't like him. He's like, I think you should get a different OB-GYN. But I felt like it would be, this was my mistake. I felt like, oh, is it rude to switch right now? Is it, is it, is it that I can't switch my OB-GYN? And this was at my 20-week appointment. Um, would it be really complicated to get those test results and, and all of the work that's been done so far. Um, so lesson learned and I, you know, everyone lock this in. You always have the right to change your doctor. Um, the problem is when you get to be full term around 36 to the 40 week mark is that a lot of OB-GYNs maybe won't accept a new patient because they haven't been taking care of you and that's a big liability on them. Um, but if you have the opportunity before that window to switch, switch. Um, shop. If you have to switch your doctor 10 times, do it. If you want to try out working with a midwife, do it. Um, because even my husband was like, this guy is not right. Like he spent, he spent no time answering your questions. I'm like, no, no, that's just his personality. And I felt like, I don't know, like, I think, I think it was genuinely like the, the, the being polite, the total thing that I felt like, oh, I, I can't, I can't offend this doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and that was now when I sit here, I'm really mad at myself because I literally prioritized somebody else's feelings over my own health and the health of my son. But I think that that speaks to the fact that I didn't have experience and I didn't have a support system with me at every appointment to say, hey, like this is consistent. It's not just he's having a bad day today. It's that every single time you go to this doctor, he kind of blows off your concerns. Um, so by the time that I was full term, um, I had made it very clear to my doctor, my biggest concern is I don't want a C-section. Um, and a lot of women will want C-sections and, and everyone makes their own decisions, you know, for their own personal reasons. But for me, the reason I didn't want a C-section is I thought that it would be really difficult to take care of a baby while healing from what is essentially surgery. Um, and because I didn't have any maternity leave, I was pretty much, I was pretty much scheduled to be back to work three days after I leave the hospital. Um, working from home, nevertheless, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm working from home, it'll be fine. Babies sleep a lot anyway. Um, 
no, it's not exactly like that. <laughs> they do sleep a lot, but um, you still have to recover. Um, and I had, and here's the other thing, I had communicated it to my OB guide and he, he didn't advise me otherwise. He was like, oh yeah, you should, you should be fine, which I think was not the right thing for an OB guide to say. I think that a responsible OB guide would have said, you should take some time off to recover. Um, at least six weeks, you should, you should give yourself time. So a C-section didn't, didn't fall in line with what I thought would be going back to work or um, recovering and being able to breastfeed, which was also really important to me. Um, he seemed to listen to me, but then he, again, I felt like was kind of blowing me off. So by the time that um, I was, I was exactly two days away from my due date. So at this point I was um, 40 weeks. Um, I went into labor actually. And I was, I'm positive my water broke because it, it matched all the things that you read about. And that's the thing that you do as a pregnant woman. You, you do a lot of Googling and you watch a lot of YouTube videos to see, well, what does labor feel like? What does your water breaking look like? Um, and I was in a lot of pain. I was getting what I was pretty certain were contractions um, and something called bloody show. So I had, you know, three big indicators that I was in labor and I called my doctor and, and they said, okay, come in and we'll check you. And my doctor examined me, but it was really fast. And he said, mm, no, you're not dilated at all. And I'm, and your water didn't break. And, and I said, well, I, I'm pretty sure it did though. And he said, no, no, it didn't. And he didn't, you know, there's a certain test that they could do like in two seconds to check to see if there's any fluid there in that, you know, down there. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't do that. And he sent me home saying, oh, you're a first time mom. This is normal. You're, you're going to be, it's, it's your body preparing for labor. It's called prodromal labor. So I go home and I Google prodromal labor and there's some information, but you know, to me, it was funny that like, no one that I had ever gone through this. Um, and what prodromal labor is defined as is that it's your body getting ready to go into labor. So you'll have contractions, but you're not actually dilating and you have to be dilated to be admitted to a hospital to start pushing a baby out. Um, I was, what he said was that I was not dilated. So I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. Maybe it's because I couldn't be active during this pregnancy with COVID. You know, I can't go out to the, you know, I can't walk at the gym. And, and I made all these excuses in my head that like, oh, I guess I'm just one of these women who has to go through prodromal labor. Well, how long can it last? And online it said like a couple days. Well, I was in, I was in prodromal labor for a week and I was pretty much by, by Friday. So this had started on Monday by Friday. Um, I couldn't breathe anymore from these contractions. And, and I went into the doctor again. I said, I can't, I can't function like this anymore. And at this point I'm getting scared because every time these contractions happen, I don't think this is good for the baby. What if, you know, and I'm losing a lot of fluid, dude. Like I think my water is, it has broken or it's leaking. And he said, no, 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 you have enough fluid. It's fine. Um, you know, and I said, well, can you induce me because I can't function in pain? And what induction is that they give you a medication through an IV um, so that, you know, your body, your cervix does dilate. So it pretty much, you know, it's kind of an eviction notice for your kid, um, pushes your baby <laughs> out before your body's like really ready to do it. Um, and for some women, it's a, a choice that they make to do a scheduled induction because, you know, either, the, you know, with their maternity leave, they have to have labor on a certain day. Or um, for some women, it's that they're concerned that their baby might be, you know, too big or, 
for a number of reasons. Um, I had a couple concerns is I really felt like my baby must be big. The doctor kept saying, no, no, he's, he's not going to be big. And I'm like, well, my husband was a big baby and I, I feel like this is a big baby. Again, he blew me off. Um, so he blew off all my concerns. And then what really bothered me was at the end of our conversation when I said, you know, I'm really scared that this is going to result in an emergency C-section because I feel like I'm not doing well. My baby's not doing well. If he, if it gets to the point that this becomes an emergency, that means a C-section. And he said, well, a C-section is not that bad. And my heart just like shattered when he said that because it's that's not when about I knew. That. It's just you don't want that. I don't want that. And if there's something we can do to avoid it, why can't we? So my biggest question was, why can't you induce me at this point? I'm in pain. I'm contracting. I understand that I'm not dilated. But maybe it's that my body is trying to dilate and it can't. So that's exactly. And, you know, I've, I've been through med school. I did, I did OB-GYN. I, you know, I helped deliver babies and all that. And my husband's a physician too. So our biggest question was, why can't you induce me since I'm meeting all the criteria? Here's the shocking thing to me that his answer was that the hospital policy was that for first time mother, mothers, a hospital will not allow for an induction until the mother is 41 weeks gestation, which is Sounds really messed old. up. It's really messed up because that pretty much means a bunch of old dudes sat around a table and decided how a woman, um, how a woman's healthcare is going to go. So, and, and you know, my, my husband was at this point calling all these OB-GYNs trying to get an OB-GYN to accept me because at this point he's like, this isn't good. Like this is, this is making me nervous. Something bad is going to happen. Well, no one would accept me at this point because I was now past due. Um, and my doctor's answer was, well, this is just a hospital policy. There's nothing that I can do about it. And if you call any other hospital, they, they have this rule. Um, some hospital, and this is true. Some hospitals do have this rule and some hospitals don't. So another really important takeaway to anyone who's listening, who's pregnant or is planning on getting pregnant is make sure that you know your hospital's policy in terms of an induction, whether it's, you know, a scheduled induction or, you know, for whatever reason, um, a hospital policy shouldn't be prioritized over you being in pain and scared and really not able to function because you're contracting, but your body's not, your body's not following the rules. So again, this was on a Friday, I was sent home um, and told if your contractions aren't a certain you know, amount of time apart and regular, like you're not in labor, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll schedule you for when you're 41 weeks pregnant, which would be another five days away at this point. So um, I went home, I downloaded a contractions app <laughs> to time my contractions. And that was that night, Friday night was um, probably the scariest night of my life. I remember I was in the maze like, screaming scared that our neighbors were going to call the police because I, I really didn't sound well. And my husband was like, let me take you to the hospital. And my mom had said, you know, you guys need to go to the hospital. And I was like, no, but the doctor said, do not come back until your contractions are regular and you know, a certain amount of time long. And I'm not there yet. Well, my husband decided the next morning, he's like, this is stupid. You're dying. <laughs> I'm going to take you to the hospital. And the only way that we're going to leave is with a baby. So whether they have to, you know, call the police on us. We're doing an induction. Um, I'm really glad that I listened to him because I got to the hospital and I was five centimeters dilated. So oh yeah. And um, apparently 
um, my water had broken a long time ago, as I had suspected, because when the doctor tried to break my water, he, he goes, Oh, did your water break? I'm like, Yes, my water broke on Monday, I told you and you didn't listen to me. And yeah, so, um, you know, luckily, they, you know, an angel called an anesthesiologist, like walked into the room once, you know, the and backtracking a little bit. The other thing that kind of bothered me was when the nurse checked me and said that I was five centimeters dilated, it actually felt nothing like how my doctor had checked me. And I had a feeling I was like, you know, he would check me and he wouldn't, it was really fast. And I'm like, how, how can you tell like that fast? Um, because when the nurse checked me, it was definitely different. So I kind of suspect that I had been dilated, but I wasn't dilating very quickly. Um, and again, as a physician, I do recognize that like all bodies are going to react differently. So I may have been struggling to dilate and that's why my body was like contracting, 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 but my cervix was not necessarily responding appropriately. What, you know, and the other takeaways, if your contractions are not necessarily regular, they're not necessarily following the rules, listen to your body. If there is something wrong, go to the hospital. Um, don't be embarrassed. If, you know, if the nurses try to make you feel bad that you wasted their time, that's their problem. They're, that's their job to take care of you when you are concerned. Um, but don't sit home and suffer the way that I think a lot of women probably do. Yeah, I feel like a lot um, of women definitely are embarrassed because there's yeah. also, I forgot what it's called, but there's something that's like Hicks. a contraction. Yeah, but it's actually gas mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. I feel like Braxton some people get Hicks so embarrassed. Like they're like, yeah. oh my God, I just came here and wasted everyone's time for mm-hmm. gas. But like, this is your baby. This is your life. Like there's like, what? You're going to risk your baby's life over embarrassment because you're Persian and you're scared to like embarrass yourself. Like, exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. Exactly. And you said it. We're in, we're embarrassed and we don't want to cause trouble for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't yeah. want to be in somebody's way. We, we don't want to annoy people, but you know what? Like you're carrying a baby. This, this is, you know, it's your health. It's your baby's health. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if like, even if you're not at the point where you can prioritize yourself, at least think about your baby yeah. <laughs> and recognize it, your body is telling you that there is something wrong so you need to make sure that it's addressed and if someone blows you off and you still feel like there's something wrong then you need to ask the next person or demand say you know what I demand that I get a second consult from somebody else that somebody else gives their opinion on this um and my my husband was just livid the whole time you know in this process and and petrified because we're both physicians we both know the things that can go wrong we're yeah. both googling way way too much at this point and no ob would take us um i have a so quick luckily, question yes oh yes yes um i don't like i know a lot of women say some of the best like ob uh, guys are men mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. do you ever regret, do you wish you went to a woman? Because no matter mm-hmm. what type of medical training they have, how many years they have, at the end of the day, they've never given birth. And mm-hmm. I feel like a woman, like even like if a man has more training than her, more years on her, she just knows what it feels mm-hmm. like. And she knows the concerns and she understands. Do you feel like you would go to a woman in the future if you choose to have another kid? So in the future, and, and I, um, my husband already found a great OB-GYN for me. Um, I think that what I, I think you're absolutely right. If you haven't gone through it, it doesn't matter how much training you have because mm-hmm. you don't recognize a lot of the quirks that can happen. And every woman 
has a different story and only a woman would really recognize that that we our bodies actually don't go by the textbook um so for me the second time i mean it, for me gender doesn't so much matter but in this case i think i think i got lucky that my husband found somebody who um for me it's important that it is a doctor but i really also wanted yeah i also wished in the process that well i wish that i could have like a midwife's gentle bedside manner or like mm -hmm the like the tricks and the tips that they know i mean man they are just like a bible worth of lots of amazing information um but for me I've, I've also seen a lot of really scary outcomes where i would want you know a, you know a medical professional handling the situation um so for me this next doctor is actually an md who works side by side with a midwife so i would recommend maybe that type of situation whether the the OB-GYN is a man or a woman. Um, if you have the option to also have a midwife involved, I, I would probably do that because you Are can have the best always of both women? I think in my experience, I've never heard yeah. of a, a male midwife. Yeah, me neither, to be honest but I just wasn't sure. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sure that can't be a rule. They can't tell men not to be midwives, no, no, no. but I don't no, think I've ever heard no. of a male midwife. So yeah, I guess like for the most part, they're No, I've women. never, and I've scoured the internet, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on midwife training for like how to breathe and, you know, like how to do this and how to do that. And I've never seen, a, you know, a male, but, um, but you're absolutely right. I think that that's the mistake a lot of doctors make is our bodies aren't going to follow the rules, no matter how much you want us to. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where you can get in trouble. Um, is if you expect that they follow the rules, like my contractions were not regular, they were not meeting a certain length of time. Yet I, I dilated apparently from zero to five um overnight um that's that doesn't go by the rules mm -hmm. so you know luckily everything went well though um i got my epidural <laughs> thank god um and then i i pushed my baby out you know i was i labored for 12 hours in the hospital and then i pushed for an hour um lo and behold he was eight pounds and two ounces so he was not oh my yeah. god he was big. Was he a was big boy. really big. That was a big boy, 21 inches long. Oh. Um, and the doctor was like, oh, wow, that's a really big baby. I didn't expect him to be this big. I'm like, oh, God, I can't. You oh, must have been no. livid. You must have been like, I told you. Oh, my God. I was, at that point, I was like, I was just, I was done with yeah, the doctor. Yeah, you probably well, were so depleted. But what was like the post-birth situation like as well? It was, it got, it got even worse with this doctor. So, um, I don't mean to laugh. So it's just ridiculous. No, it is. It's, it's, it's actually really laughable. Like when you think about it. Um, so here's the last red flag for our listeners is the next morning, um, when the doctor came to do rounds, I, I did have a, a tear down there, um, minor, but still there. And so it did have to get sewn up. And, um, <laughs> what kind of annoyed me is that like, the doctor kept cracking jokes at my at my husband and being like, oh, do you want to like catch the baby or do you want to do the sewing? And my husband at one point was like, no, dude, that's what we're paying you for. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, my husband just like had it with this doctor. It was like, I'm just lucky they didn't get in a fight. Um, but the next morning the doctor comes to do rounds and you know, I, I, you know, you did do a medical procedure. I do have sutures down there. Um, he didn't even touch me. So he didn't listen to my heart. He didn't feel my belly to make sure my uterus had contract was like contracting back 
as it should have been. Um, didn't check to see that I had a ton of fluid in my legs. Like literally I was walking out of the hospital with elephant legs and the nurses were surprised actually that the doctor hadn't commented on, you know, um, did you know that like all the IV fluid seems to be stuck in your legs? Um, he, he didn't check me to make sure I was okay. Yeah. So, um, and it actually didn't register for me or my husband really, um, until probably a couple of days later when I realized, Hey John, like, I don't think he checked me. I'm having like a lot of pain and, and something doesn't feel quite right down there. Um, so I very embarrassingly had to have my husband check me. So, um, oh. everything was fine, but he did say he's like, yeah, it didn't do the nicest job he could have done. That's for sure. But all is well. Um, but that was kind of the postpartum thing, the postpartum experience. Now, um, you would think after pushing a baby out or having a, you know, having this whole experience, well, the next question you have is when can I go see my doctor to make sure everything's okay? Um, the standard of care in the United States for a spontaneous vaginal delivery, no complications is six weeks. So not only was I kicked out of the hospital pretty quick, I mean, I, I checked in Saturday, Saturday evening, um, and we were discharged by um, Monday morning actually. So that's how, that's how long they kept us in the hospital. Um, but then they told me you can see your doctor in six weeks. So a lot can happen in six weeks, um, including postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, po postpartum psychosis. Um, a lot of physical things can happen to your body. Um, and nobody really cares. No one, will, no one will ask you. I in fact decided never to go back to that OB-GYN and I decided to go to the diff a different one who I'm going to go to for my next baby. Um, my last OB-GYN's office, they never called me to be like, oh, hey, were you going to make your appointment for six weeks from now? Um, oh they totally God, blew me off. So yeah. Triggerings for some yeah, I, I hate, like, mm -hmm. honestly, malpractice to me. Falling um, falling through the cracks. Literally the very definite, the definition of falling through the cracks. Um, and then I finally did end up calling my old OB-GYN's office to have my records transferred to my new OB-GYN. And they never did. So it's like, uh. yeah. And um, I'm kind of stuck because of course, like I can't necessarily, I, I want to, like, I, I, I feel like I have every right to sue this doctor for all the things that, you know, I feel, or at least complain about him, about all the things that went wrong. But again, like I said, it's a small community. I'm a physician, my husband's a physician and it, I don't have that option. So that's why I really wanted to come on this episode and at least try to make to try to see if at least one person can hear what I have to say and do the steps to avoid that happening to her. Um, because I know that it's not just this doctor. It has to be way too many of them that act this way and treat their patients this way. And nobody talks about it because everyone wants to say, oh, I had a magical delivery and I'm this magical unicorn and, and <laughs> it was a perfect delivery. And I snapped back in two days and I breastfed so easily and my child never cries. And um, that is not the truth for anybody. So if you're struggling and there's something wrong and your body is telling you to ask for help, you need to ask for help, whether it's from your doctor, um, your mom, your husband, anyone that you can ask for help, ask for help. Because at the end of the day, if you can't take care of yourself, um, you can't take care of your beautiful baby. Um, and believe me, when that little person comes out of you, you're just like, whoa, like, I love you so much. I'll do anything for you. And I think that that's what made it all click is um, I realized that this this doctor tried to take away my baby. 
if something had gone wrong and my baby had been harmed, your mama tiger comes out, you know, um, I hope I never see this person out in the real world because I don't feel like that interaction would go well. But um, I think that we do need to have these conversations and we do need to encourage and support each other in, in talking about it and um, again, asking for support. No, definitely. Another thing that came to my mind when you mentioned the desire from doctors to kind of push emergency c-sections of course the first thing that comes is you know the hospitals make more money off of this Mm -hmm. is this a trend like Mm -hmm. with a lot of other things like what else i want to know more about c-sections too because i always thought i wanted one i always thought i always thought my body would bounce back faster to, to some stitches rather than like a possible tear in my vagina and mm-hmm. the looseness and will ever go back to normal am I gonna mm-hmm. pee every time I laugh like I thought I would have so many more after effects from natural birth than I would from a simple c-section because it's just stitches um so maybe if, if you have more insight so I so and again everyone this is a very personal decision for everybody this is my opinion on it just Um, as a physician, and then also maybe because my husband's a plastic surgeon and I understand what can go, what can be fixed and what can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. So I thought that I wanted to see same thing, my same sentiments exactly. Oh, a C-section is is just one cut. It's one line of stitches. A lot of other things won't go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, However, a lot of things can go wrong. Remember, it's surgery. They might accidentally cut into your bladder. That happened to one of my friends. Um, who had a C-section with her son and they had accidentally cut into her bladder. So she had that complicated. Yeah, they had, she had that complication after. Um, And, you know, for me, a lot to be said about the stress of a baby coming out of your body in terms of the benefits that it has for his lungs, his or her lungs. And, and um, it, it, it does benefit the baby, you know, and there's the literature out there that supports it. But, also, in terms of your own body, to me, our bodies were made to do this. Um, if I hadn't gotten the epidural, of course, I could push out naturally. I mean, I was in labor for a week. I'm sure I could have, but man. Um, well, that's another I, that thing. Point, I mean, a lot of people are skeptical about the epidural <laughs> shot. Like, my mother didn't use it for any of us. My mom yeah, wanted my mom an epidural. and um, she didn't get it. No, I think my dad didn't want her to have one because he's like, oh, it drugs the baby. And my mom's like, you're not giving birth to the baby. I yeah. am. Like, yeah. like I'm the one in pain here. She ended up um, – mm-hmm. I, I forgot. Some, some type of complication happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but it was a whole argument on over whether or not it drugs the baby and has yeah, bad effects on what the are, baby. What are your thoughts on epidural? Because you seem so- like really – you know, I, I read up on it a lot. I read yeah. up on these things a lot. Um, so to me, um, so I knew, I knew when I found out that my mom couldn't be in the room because of COVID. Um, and oh, of course, God. this is because the doctor really didn't care to even try to, you know, advocate for me to have my mom in the room. Um, I was like, okay, I know, I know this about myself that when I'm in pain, my body shuts down. Um, so to me, and I kind of, le- I actually learned that during my Braxton Hicks that I did experience around the beginning of my third trimester. And I was like, oh, this is a Braxton Hicks for sure. Um, because it's, it's a contraction, but not really a contraction. And then I learned that, um, my body just like tenses up and I can't seem to function in pain enough. So when I got the epidural, my, 
this was my plan. I don't know if this would work for everyone, but it certainly worked for me is um, I need to push the baby out. So I need to be able to, for me, I was like, I'm not, because they give you a button pretty much. They give you the epidural and then they give you a button to keep micro dosing yourself throughout the process. You do get really numb down there. So when you're pushing um, with an epidural, you don't know where you're pushing or how much you're pushing or where you're pushing or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, don't know a lot so, of poop while they push. Oh yeah. Oh, I did. <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone does. And it's okay. I, the nurses have seen it and, 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 um, somehow like you, your husband and you, they, you guys are like, I, okay, I respect that. It's fine. <laughs> you know? Somehow you get over it. Um, but with the epidural, I made the decision that I would stop microdosing myself, you know, once I hit around the eight to nine centimeter mark. So I wasn't in excruciating pain, but I was in enough pain that I could feel, I could kind of feel my legs and I could feel where I was going to push. Mm -hmm. So my, um, in terms of the baby being drugged, yeah, I mean, you are putting fentanyl into your body that is going to affect your baby. Um, but they, they recover pretty well from it. And, and to me, you know, I'm pushing the baby through vaginal canal, the stress of that alone, I felt kind of made up for it. And these were all like justifications I made and might be right or it might be wrong, but that's kind of how my birth plan ended up being mapped out in my head. Um, so I don't know, that was kind of a good compromise I made for myself because I really didn't want to do an epidural, but I knew that my body might need it. Um, mm -hmm. And I was right. I really did need it to get to the point where I was ready to push the baby out. Um, but with enough strength in me that I pushed the baby out in an hour um, because I oh, wasn't wow. enough pain. Yeah. I mean, like I was like, wow. okay, this is like, I got to get this done. You know um, I think that if you're too numb and you push that epidural button too many times, that's kind of the situation where you end up in where um, you're pushing and you're not pushing in the right area. And then you exhaust yourself. Mm -hmm. um, it's inefficient pushing. Yeah. So I think it's very, very tailor-made to who you are though. You mm -hmm. know, you, you get, you, you, you'll learn about your body a lot in pregnancy though. It's kind of freaky actually. Like a lot of things that you don't have awareness of, you have like a whole nine to 10 months to really form that relationship with your body and listen to it. I get kind of worried about, I still get worried about natural birth for two reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple years back, I was going to a um, to physical therapy, and mm -hmm. my doctor actually told me that my um, I have this like thing where when I was born, my tailbone was fused with my hip bones. I think mm -hmm. so. My hips, when I was going through puberty, never mm -hmm. widened the way a woman's hips should. Um, in order mm -hmm. to get ready for childbirth. So he said childbirth will actually be harder for me because I have narrow hips mm -hmm. because they are fused with my tailbone. Mm -hmm. And also another thing, mm -hmm. I have hemorrhoids and I'm scared mm -hmm. of a heavy pushing can tear it mm -hmm. more, um, can cause yeah, a lot so of heavy I bleeding, <laughs> can be very mm -hmm. painful. So for those two reasons, I feel like I would still want a C-section, especially because of the fact that I, I didn't, my uh like birth canal i guess didn't widen the way a woman's should mm -hmm. yeah so my proctologist you know me and natalie are famous for talking about <laughs> our <laughs> <hemorrhoids>. <laughs> which, uh, which we all appreciate <laughs> normalize yeah let's normalize, normalize talking about it. <laughs> yes yes but um there's no shout out to my doctor things have been 
<laughs> well, Natalie has an interesting oh, story. I, Her I cousin. Have a, shut up. Let me tell the story. You're so annoying. <laughs> taking my uh, spotlight away. I, you were actually saying how you're, you had your husband um, mm-hmm. kind of look at you after the surgery, yeah. after giving birth because you couldn't see your doctor for six weeks. So I recently was having a lot of problems with my hemorrhoids. And I told my mom one day last week, I was like, Ima, it's really hurting me. I, I need to see a doctor soon. And she's like, okay, I'm going to make some phone calls. So my mom makes some phone calls. And one of her cousins, uh, she calls him, not because she thought that he was a proctologist, but because she thought that he can find me a good one. Because he's a, he's a really mm-hmm. good doctor in our area where we live in Great Neck. And he goes, Dahlia, that's my specialty. I take care of people oh, with hemorrhoids. So my mom <laughs> texts me. She's like, I made you an appointment with our cousin. And I'm like, are you That's serious? So and she's like, yeah, yeah, he's a doctor. He's a professional. It's okay, Natalie. Like, go see him. He's going to take you tomorrow at 9 o'clock. I'm like, okay, fuck. So That's so him, funny. And I sit down and he's like, he's like, listen, let's talk. Let's see what, what kind of troubles you're having. Is it more trouble mm-hmm. pushing or is it trouble with this? Is there blood? Is there that? Mm-hmm. So I told him like all of my symptoms and he's like, okay, from what you're telling me, um, let's go into the other room. So he kind of like um, pushes, he like has me lay down and he, like I'm fully clothed. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. like, on my stomach a little. He's like, okay, Natalie, I'm going to put this sheet over you. I need you to turn over in fetal position and pull down your pants and underwear. And he's like, I'm sorry that we have to inspect you, but it's necessary. And I'm oh like, oh my God. Oh my God. My my own cousin had to put his fingers up my butt and I was like oh my god this is the most Persian moment of my life and then then when I tell my boyfriend what happened his reaction is how come your cousin gets to do it and I can't and I'm like this isn't this isn't the reaction I need right now I need you to take pity on me for the most horrific embarrassing moment of my life and all you care about is why another guy gets to do it and you don't I was so annoyed I'm like this is we'll have to give you a a therapy referral is very much needed (laughs) to get you through this and now I have to go I have to go back to him for checkups and I'm like I'm just gonna pretend like everything's fine so I don't need a checkup I'm like ah I was no I was was so great about it they're used to this kind of they're taught this professionalism yeah he's he's a very sweet guy I've known him my whole life like I know his mom whatever like yeah so it's better yeah no and he and he was so good about he's like listen I'm sorry that we had to do that but um, I want you to have my cell phone number. Call me if you're ever in a lot of pain. He gave me like an ointment, whatever. So at least I'm, I'm doing better now, thanks to him. But it was Thank just like, God oh my God, this is the but most urgent moment of my life. Like, but do you feel, do you feel like um, it would be better for you to have gone to someone where you don't have to maybe see that person in, a, in like a social context again? Yes, like, because is this, now is this every an time example? I see him, I'm going to be like, wow, mm-hmm. he's seen my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, would, and, and that's the thing is, you said it yourself um, just a moment ago. You said, the next time I go to see him, I'm just going to say that everything's okay, even if it's not. No, I'll, I'll, definitely, be honest honest with him. I'll definitely be honest with him, even though like, it's like a little bit uncomfortable. It's, but, like, it's uncomfortable. He's just such a great doctor that he really did, yeah. no matter how awkward the situation was, he did make me feel the most comfortable I thought I could have felt. That's, like I, I thought really it would be so good. much worse. And he's really that's great. Really so that's really good. That's really good. But I, oh, I am God, still I'm scared so about... <laughs> yeah, Thank no, you. so the reason it came up was because we were both... Like my proctologist also told mm. me that like 
I don't. He also said that like my holes are close to each other. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that it would just tear. It would be one big tear. Mill- Millie's asshole and vagina okay, would just you become stop? one hole. My parents <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> I was oh I was treading lightly. You <laughs> just went there. I mean, I mean that's the, but that's that's the point, right? Is that every single woman is so different. So no one should shame you if you decide. Well, there are really, really real reasons why I need to have a C-section, like mm. medical, emotional, psychological, like whatever reason that you need. It, it you're just get the baby out. You know that's that's the point. Is get the baby out raise that baby, love that baby, enjoy that baby, but take care of yourself. And that starts from your birth plan. So I think that if these are concerns that you have, that you should be able to ask all these questions from your ob guy or midwife, whichever one you decide, and that nobody has the right to shame you, whether you use an epidural or you don't, or you do a C-section or you do vaginal delivery. And that's the other thing that I hope women stop doing is shaming each other for making these decisions, mm-hmm. right? Is um, I did an epidural and I was really lucky that my mom, my mom didn't shame me about it. I was really scared that maybe she would make me feel bad about it. But at the end of the process, she was like, gosh, I wish I had gotten an epidural, but you're right. All of these, all of these, you know, stories are out there, you know, your baby is getting drugged and this and mm-hmm. that, um, just get the baby out. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I really you know? agree with what you said. It's like, listen to your gut. I think that's like one of the like most important takeaways I'm getting from this. But actually another, sorry, I feel like there's you know? so many questions, but no, no, bring um, like I've also heard a lot about like pelvic floor pain or like mm-hmm. looseness after birth. Mm-hmm. Have you, do you know anything about that or have you experienced that? So, Um, again, I'm really, I have an advantage that my husband is a plastic surgeon and he actually knew more about it than I did. So the, the, he, um, you know, you can get like belly bands and all of that. And like a, like a, like a hip band to try to compress things back together again. The thing is that, um, in, in your pregnancy, you will have hormones that will actually make the joints in your hips and, you know, just like your joints in general, including your ankles, um, loose and flexible and your hips will widen. Um, and my big concern was like, well, I really love my clothes. (laughs) I really don't want to buy new clothes or throw away those clothes that I love. Um, and my husband said, okay, so we're going to do what, um, a lot of plastic surgeons will have their wives do is we're going to get you like a, like a post-surgical compression garment. Um, it's something that you can order online. This one was like the type that you wear after, um, a tummy tuck. So it, it's, they're not comfortable, but, um, he ordered it for me with a lot of trial and tribulations because Amazon messed up the order. But, um, I was pretty much in the compression garment right after birth. And I think that that's the reason why I did snap back so fast in my hips. Um, and just, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed between breastfeeding and the compression garment. Um, I'm doing really well. Um, what's really funny though, is like my ankles and my feet. Um, I feel like there's a lot of instability there. Like those joints never quite came back together. Um, and I'm always like telling my mom and my husband, like my, my ankles hurt really bad. And, and I wonder like, is there a compression garment for ankles that I could have worn? So that's the thing is I would recommend the compression garment, but I would recommend like really working closely with your doctor. And again, a midwife to see like, what, what 
what things can I do that you're aware of that I could do? Um, because in terms of my situation, like the compression garment worked great for me and I could have been better about wearing it. Um, luckily I do have my husband who's like, are you wearing your garment? And you know, a lot of days when you're just fighting for dear life because you didn't sleep and you feel like a truck hit you, um, you don't want to wear it, but, um, there's a lot of things that you can do to help your body snap back and heal. Um, it's not necessarily just going to happen naturally. You do have to help it a little bit along the way. So, um, yeah, my ankles never are, are still not quite recovered. <laughs> so, well, what about wearing like is. compression socks or something like that? People were sh- I should have done that. Maybe. I should have done that. I really should have done that. I didn't even think about that. Well, maybe you still can. I don't know. I, maybe I need to because my ankles, like they hurt all the time. Like that's the thing about the postpartum period is you're sleep deprived. Um, and in my case, I'm working. Thank God I have my, you know, my husband and I are so grateful to my mom that she's been able and, and to my dad for like recognizing that my mom has to come and stay with us so often. So then he has to take care of himself, my poor dad. Um, you know, husbands really need their wives to help to take care of them. That's kind of the way that most Persian men are. Um, so, but you're just, you're, you're, you just hurt like all the time. And that's something that no one ever told me. And I asked my mom, I'm like, mom, like, did you know that it would be like this? And she said, yeah, I, I did. And I didn't tell you because if I told you, you would never have gotten pregnant. (laughs) So that's something my mom would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, um, but if I, if, if I knew what I knew, what I know now, would I still go through it? Absolutely. I still want to have a second child. Um, it's just that I'm a little bit more mentally prepared for the fact that your body has gone through a lot. No doctor will take care of you. So you really do have to have a really good support system around you, whether that's your family or your friends or a really good doctor, a good midwife, make sure you have that support system. Wow. Yeah. It's really hard being a woman, guys. You have to add. Literally, it's really hard being a woman. Yeah, it's (laughs) really hard. It's really, it's really beautiful and magical and, oh, we're such goddesses, but, um, goddesses also have limits so <laughs> at Indeed. some point they, they need help yeah my husband he's literally right before this podcast I was having a lot of trouble getting my little man you know when babies get overtired they they kind of go into a temper tantrum and he's like screaming and crying I'm like do you want to breastfeed no do you want to play no your diaper's clean like they get to the point where they just need to take a nap and my husband my mom and my husband are really good at getting him to just like quiet down and go into nap mode. My, 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 my husband's the baby whisperer. It's actually really weird. He actually changed the first five diapers on this kid. Like he taught me how to change diaper. Oh my um, God. That's yeah. And I'm like, you guys teach me, teach me how to do this. And you know, they taught me all the steps and I'm like trying to do it. And I was doing it pretty well. And my husband walks in and he sees that I'm kind of starting to like give up because <laughs> this kid is also just, you know, babies are a lot. Um, and he goes, is there a reason why you have difficulty asking for help? I'm like, yes, I just can't ask for help. It's and called Khejalat. Look it up. <laughs> it is. Exactly. Oh, thank you for saying that. I feel very validated now because that's what I was, I was like, why, why am I having so much trouble asking for help? But then I do ask for help um, at the end of it. But that's the thing is also um, to those listening, like sisters or, or, you know, I'm sure some guys are listening to like husbands or 
the people that are supporting a pregnant woman recognize that they are embarrassed to ask for help and they feel like it takes away from their mom status to ask for help because mm-hmm. moms are supposed to be super women and we do it all and we do it all very well. And um, I guess for me, when I have trouble getting him to quiet down, I feel like, am I failing you as a mom? Like, am I not doing something right? Um, and that's that's when you need someone not to ask you if they can help, but just be like, you know what, I'm going to take the baby. And my husband and my mom are really good at that. They're like, you know what? No, you just, you need to, you need to go take a break. Um, everyone out there listening, remember that. Don't ask if you can help, just do it. <laughs> you're very lucky you have that support system. That's really amazing. I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. You're also very lucky. Like your husband is so hands-on. Like I remember mm-hmm. my mom, um, she was like, your dad never changed a single one of your diapers. Mm-hmm. Not one. Like, oh, man, he, I he was so Persian, man. He was so, like, I mean, your husband's American. I, I think that's, yeah. uh, that speaks for um, his behavior a little bit. Like, everyone wants to say, like, Persian men, like, oh, it's the new generation. They're more modern, blah, blah, blah. But, like, in some ways, still not. In some ways, yes. I still think it does make a difference what culture your husband came from and how he reacts to your future together and having children and well um, i feel the need to speak for my dad because he was really hands-on and still is i yeah i mean every every generalization no i know no i just felt bad like in case like they ever listen they're like um you didn't tell them how much i changed your diapers (laughs) like you bitch oh my gosh my dad cut my umbilical cord boba said i love you shout out to boba said thank you for cutting my umbilical cord (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> dads, dads, they, dads, they do try, but I, I do agree with you that um, there's, there's still gender roles. And especially in our culture, those gender roles are very, very rigid. And that's where, you know, you're like, oh, you have to have your mom to help you. But that's a conversation you have to have with your husband that like, I understand that maybe this mm. is not an expectation of you by our culture, but it's an expectation I have, I have from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, well, that's, you know. I guess the only good thing out of this generation, if like, if, you know, the gender roles aren't necessarily changing, like any woman who is in a relationship with a guy who is not going to be hands on, they kind of know that I think at this mm-hmm. point yeah. and yeah. they're fine with that. Like, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't even be in a relationship with a guy who doesn't have that. Like, I just never have attracted that kind of, you know what I mean? Like yeah. with me and that, like, yeah. That's a really good say. point so that's a like, great point yeah there yeah. are still women who they're okay with that maybe yeah. so mm-hmm. you know True. that's the the one pro i guess but the disclaimer that comes before like getting into a marriage with this guy is that he won't change any diapers even if you're like on the floor bleeding to death yeah. <laughs> the baby will not have the diaper change my bitch <laughs> that's also i feel like that's a conversation a lot of young couples don't have before getting mm-hmm. married like they don't talk about yeah. love like like how did like I had a cousin who got married and after they got married she wanted to have kids and he was like I don't know if I ever want kids and like they got divorced <gasps> oh my god and I was just like how did you guys not talk about this before getting married like how oh, that's that really happen? really painful gosh yeah. that's painful no it's important I mean we didn't we knew we knew that we both wanted children yeah. um and so I already knew that I had no idea that my husband would be this involved with my baby actually I 
had zero expectation from Mm -hmm. him. Um, I knew that I would be depending a lot on my mom. And then the baby was born and I'm like, whoa, like this dude is literally the baby whisperer. So we actually Mm -hmm. never even had that conversation. In retrospect, would I have wanted to have that conversation with my husband? Definitely. Because you should, you should, you know, have a plan you know, the postpartum period is really hard on me. Um, and we are, we're still working on it. Like a lot of times in the middle of the night when we're so sleep deprived and the baby is crying and maybe like, I'm not doing so well, like I've been doing this for several hours and I need help. Um, we have code words that, you know, like, okay, can you take a shift and, and then I'll rest and then I'll take a shift. Um, you do, you grow and you develop mm-hmm. along with the baby and the, the baby also grows and develops with you. So But I agree with you. That's a conversation that should be had beforehand. Yeah. And like, you shouldn't worry about like seeming desperate or undesirable for having Mm -hmm. that conversation. If, if that deters a guy from wanting to be with you or viewing you romantically or Mm -hmm. saying, oh, she's a, then like you, then that's not, he's not the one. That's not the guy. Like, don't even waste your time. Like, that's not even like a, oh, I'm like, that's just like getting to know someone quite like, I don't even it doesn't necessarily need to be a conversation about you having a baby with that person, but Mm -hmm. it's just like, let's talk about it. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think? You know what I mean? Like you talk about those things with your friends. Why wouldn't you talk about it with someone you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, that person that, I mean, in my opinion, I married my best friend and that's the way that it should be. So you should be able to have those conversations with your best friend and your best friend should be the the person that you're going to spend the life, your life with. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I'm I'm like incredibly happy to hear your situation and like I don't know I, I hope it like gives hope to some of our listeners will write a lot of men off. There's great people out there who <laughs> who will take shifts in the night with yeah. you. They, and, they, and, they, yeah. they and and they that's the really thing sweet. is a lot of a lot of that is also you have to be patient with your partner and recognize like first time dads. It's literally it's in the title first time so they don't know what to expect either. They're just as blindsided as you. And then they don't have a lot of, um, a lot of just the natural instincts that we're programmed with. You know, I keep saying like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. But actually when I really, I have to give myself credit. I really know what I'm doing. A lot of the times with this kid, like, like I can, I can tell when he's hungry because um, my, my breasts start to hurt. And like literally two minutes later, he's, communicating to me, Hey, it's time to eat like, or he'll cry. So like dads don't have that, like they don't have that programmed into them. So you also have to help your partner and like teach him, Hey, um, this is what I need from you. So as long as they're open to it, it's going to be a successful relationship, but you know, within that family dynamic, but it takes a lot of patience between the partners. Um, Shout out to my husband, John Larson. I love you. Thank you for being so patient with me. Sometimes, a lot of times, like, how did we not throw each other out the window? I don't know. (laughs) But, like, you get, you do get through it. And um, have hope that the person that you're with, um, if they're open-minded and they care about you, they'll, they'll grow with you. It's it's a process though. Thank I feel like you. I should be saying these things to myself. <laughs> no, I mean it's, that's always how it is, right? You're like yeah. kind of when you're giving advice to others, it's also reiterating it to yourself. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna have to listen to this podcast. Like in the middle of the night, I'll be like, okay, it's a process. It's a process. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we're like in a way documenting this really special time in your life. Like not only is it informative, but it's gonna be like this time capsule that you can that. revisit. My kid can listen to it and be like, really? It was difficult. Like I'd have a temper tantrum to have a nap. Like I would give anything to give a nap. I would like, (laughs) I will not have a temper tantrum.
tantrum to go take a nap. That's me personally. So yeah. yeah. So well, thank I'm you so, so much though to both of you for having me on the show. I'm, no, I'm thank you for being able to on. juggle yeah. the baby and still coming on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. like, thank you for again, thank an you hour so of your time yeah. is like so precious. Yeah. 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 We're so napped. flattered. You could have yeah. napped right now, but you chose to be with us. Thank you, know so again. much for reaching out and wanting to share your story with the people who listen to our podcast. Like, thank you for like being that person that wanted to help other people. So we, we really my pleasure, that. my pleasure and much appreciation to grandma and my husband for taking care of the baby while I'm able to do this. But I'm, um, again, to end the show, my last, my last thing that I'll say is again, I know I've said it a million times, but I have to say it again, listen to your body listen to it your body knows what it's doing it has done this for thousands and thousands of years so if it's telling you something's wrong reach out and know that your body is amazing and remarkable and incredible and very 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 self-sufficient um and there's a reason for that so appreciate it and if it's saying something to you you listen to it amazing and yay to all the moms out there so if you if you go call your mom right now after the show and be like thank you for raising me because it's hard work Thank you to all the moms. It's a 24-7 job. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear about – well, I'm not, no, I'm not going to say that because that would put you guys under pressure. I'm not going to say, I can't wait until you can experience this. But um, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> you both have amazing futures ahead of you, whether it involves a baby or not. I'm excited to see you guys in your futures on this amazing podcast that you started. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So You're welcome. I guess I'll sign off now. Um, yeah, happy New Year, all thank of those you, things. Happy, yeah, happy New you Year. Guys too. Happy thank holiday. you. Yeah, no, these are these are starting. <laughs> I think my boobs are starting to hurt, so I think that must okay, be. Okay, that's your thank you. It's okay. lunchtime. Bye, <laughs> bye, bye guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. bye.